Ephesians chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians in chapter number 6, and we're going to be reading verse number 10, we'll be all the way down through verse number 18. I'd like to preach a message this evening on the subject of the armor of God, the army of God. Now this is, of course, a message when we're dealing with our battle against an enemy. And I just wanted to, as I was reflecting up here on the platform, beginning to consider why the Lord led me to Ephesians chapter number 6, about two weeks ago I was preaching in the state of South Carolina on a Sunday morning, and uh, I sensed the burden to preach Ephesians 6, but the only trouble is I really don't have a message on Ephesians 6. That happens to preachers from time to time. Now, I've studied Ephesians 6, and I've used the passage in several holiness conferences, so I was familiar with it to some degree. Uh, but I preached a message uh, that I'm going to preach to you tonight. Uh, but um, I, uh, I remember preaching it, and as soon as I pretty much did, I began to think, it was, I believe the Lord began to say, that's what you need to preach on Sunday night. And so I'm going to preach this uh, tonight, and I've done a little more study than I did for that Sunday morning, so I want you to know we're boned up on it now, but, um, so hopefully you'll get a little better version than they did in South Carolina, but, um, uh, but I want to just uh, challenge you with something. I got began, as I was thinking up here on the platform and reflecting on this subject matter, our theme, of course, the Christ walk, and from time to time I've thought of it in these terms, perhaps you have as well, but as you, uh, when you make a decision to pursue a walk with the Lord Jesus... And you really do endeavor, by the grace of God, to live a life 24-7 where you're in dependence upon Jesus and you want his life to be lived through you. You have just asked for something. You know what you've asked for? A fight. Because there is someone that hates Jesus. And you know, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe tonight I can sufficiently tell you how much Satan hates Jesus. But he hates him. And when you begin to reflect the Lord Jesus, I'm going to tell you something. You have a target on your back because Satan will hate you too because you become a channel of the presence of Jesus Christ. Years ago, I saw a cartoon, and I certainly don't mean to in any way be uh, to degrade the subject matter, but it does illustrate the truth. So how many remember The Far Side by Gary Larson? Remember that? Just that, it was all the old people in the room. Great, okay. And uh, my people my age, you know. But I remember The Far Side, which was just an off-the-wall, absurd cartoon. You just never knew where he was going to come from. And uh, but one time, he had a couple of deer that were out in the field, and one of them had what looked like a target on his chest. And the other deer was saying to him on the caption, it said, Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. And... Uh, <laughs> I know that's kind of strange at this point in the message. And I'm certainly not in all in any ways trying to diminish the, rea- the, the importance of what I'm about to say. But it does illustrate a truth, and that is this. When you make a decision that you want to follow Jesus and you want his life to be lived through yours, I am telling you, friend, you've got, you got a bullseye on you. Now, I'll be honest with you. One of the, the, the things that for believers may be a little bit fearful for you is that the one that now is your enemy is way stronger than you are. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, friends, in and of myself, I am no match for the devil. I can't beat the devil. And uh, although I don't believe Satan is near as powerful as we make him out to be, he certainly is more powerful than any of us in this room, in and of ourselves. So when uh, we're talking about a battle here, we are talking about an enemy that we cannot defeat in and of ourselves. Now, you say, well, preacher, that's kind of scary. Here I am, and I'm going to follow Jesus, and I want to live the Christ walk, and I'm here to learn the Christ walk, and you're telling me, boy, I've got a battle on my hands, and i got, I got a bullseye on my back, and I mean, I'm the devil's going to come after me. Well, the Bible uh, tells us that 
there is, uh, there's something God has done to help us with this battle. He's given us some armor. And here in verses 10 through 18, by the way, the book of Ephesians is one of the books in the Bible that really does deal with the devil. It's one of those books that really has a lot we can learn about our enemy in this very book. And, of course, this passage is one of the classic passages that talks about the enemy. A few months ago, some of you may remember when Marty Macedo, Marty Macedo was here. Marty was um, an um, Army Ranger in Vietnam. And some of you may have heard his story. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, he and his Army Ranger crew, they would be dropped, the U.S. Army would drop them behind enemy lines, and they would play cat and mouse with the Viet Cong. And they were a reconnaissance-type uh, mission. They'd go and get information, then the Army would come in, pull them out of enemy territory. And he said, the Viet Cong always knew they were there. He said, when you were in there, in that, uh, I remember years ago when I met him, he said, when you were in, though, dropped in there, he said, you had to know your enemy. He said, because what the Army Rangers would do when we sleep at night, of course, we would, we would put, uh, uh, we'd bed down and we'd put it a 100, uh, excuse me, 360 perimeter, we'd put up shrapnel. With one detonation, it would just literally fly in 360 degrees and mow anybody down that was trying to attack you, just be a, an initial shock attack. But he said, what the Viet Cong would do is they would sneak in, they'd turn the shrapnel around quietly, and then they'd snap a stick. And then if the Army Rangers didn't know what they were doing and hit the shrapnel, they would have killed themselves. Now, with an enemy like that, you want to know his tactics, don't you? <laughs> In fact, it was the very thing um, that caused this particular Army Ranger unit to, to receive damage was because the point man got upset and he lost his head, in the sense that he lost his thinking. And uh, he was walking down the path. He got upset. He saw a stick across a path. Of course, Army Rangers are trained that those sticks are often booby traps. And uh, he just, in his anger, kicked the stick. And when he did, he detonated a booby trap. And that shrapnel went to the legs of Marty Macedo. He was behind him. I think the, the point man lost his legs. But the shrapnel went into his legs. He was air vacked out. And God used that to bring him to Jesus Christ. And some of you heard him preach at the Veterans Banquet. But... Uh, he, uh, he has health problems this very, very day because of that shrapnel. Now, the point I'm making, friends, is simply this, is when you and I are in a battle, you want to know the enemy. Now, this passage of Scripture does not focus so much on the enemy. It tells us that the enemy has strategies. The Bible, of course, exposes those. And every single strategy the enemy has is exposed by the Bible. So this passage is not primarily focusing on the strategies of the enemy, the deceitful strategies. It certainly references them. But it is more talking about the weaponry God has given us to overcome those strategies. So let's focus on that, recognizing that, of course, when we understand what God has given us, the weapons he's given us, it certainly means those were given to defeat the deceitful strategies of the enemy. So let's take a moment here in Ephesians chapter number 6 tonight. And let me just say this, if I could say this before we get into this, and I hope you, if I could just bear my heart. Um, you know, traveling in ministry, and, and anybody in ministry, even if you're a Sunday school teacher, I don't, no matter what kind of ministry you're in, you are in the battle, some of you understand that. You're in a battle. But particularly when you're out, sometimes we feel like we're a very frontline ministry. But I, I, I remember the last couple of weeks, there's sometimes you're thinking, man, this is rough. It, it's just sometimes you don't, even, you don't even think about it in the realm of spiritual battle. And that, that, that can get you off because that's how Satan attacks. The Bible says his strategies here, his wiles, infers the fact that they're deceitful, which infers the fact that when he attacks, you don't realize it's an attack. And many times you're just going down the road and you're going, oh. For just a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's like everything was going wrong with our equipment. 
I'm pulling out of a church, and I forgot to put my stairs up. All you RVers know what I'm talking about. I hit one of those parking things and sheared off the last two stairs on my RV, just right off. You know, you take your belt, your bent stairs, throw them in the back of the pickup truck, saying, you moron. I mean, you know, unbelievable. Then another time we're driving down the road in our outside kitchen, a big, huge thing goes up like this. And uh, we go right by a telephone pole, telephone pole hits it, shears it right off. Just takes it and just shreds it. <laughs> You're thinking, unbelievable, why didn't I latch that thing? You moron, <laughs> okay, you know, I'm talking, what are you doing? <laughs> and my, my brakes go out on my uh, pickup truck and take it in the shop. And they say, oh yeah, it's a brake line, goes over the gas tank, we're going to have to drop the gas tank. And, and then they say, oh, we got another problem, we found your steering's bad. And, and uh, then the uh, excursion, the guys come to me and say, excursion won't start, and Five different problems in all of our equipment. Two weeks, particularly most of them, we're getting ready for the conference. And you know what I got to thinking? I think we're going to have a really good conference. <laughs> you know, sometimes, usually the devil overdoes it. You know what I'm talking about? After a while, you're going, I don't think this is coincident. These are three different vehicles. Now, I realize I'm the common denominator on the first one, okay? <laughs> but not the other two, okay? That was not my, uh, my moronic miss on that one, okay? Moron is a good Bible word, by the way. It's the word moros in the New Testament. Okay, it's a good Bible word. But, but, um, but the point I'm making, friends, is uh, we're in a battle, and I think sometimes as you lay people need to understand, we are in a battle. And sometimes you don't realize how much your pastor or pastoral staff or, is in the battle. And you're, you, know, you may not even realize how much you're in the battle. But we are in a battle. So what I'd like to do tonight is remind us of the battle. But not in a way to get us fearful or afraid or discouraged, but really be encouraged. Now may I say this, that God has given us everything we need to win the battle. So we don't need to fear the battle, the enemy or the battle. Now, back to the text. Uh, let's just go there to verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, sincerely, sincerely coming here to the end of the book, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I'm going to save that verse for tomorrow night. And that verse I'm going to deal with tomorrow night. And uh, a message that uh, I love to preach because it is the gospel to us saints. But uh, uh, that'll be tomorrow night. But that's the simple truth. It's t- t- literally in the passive there. Be, it really, the idea is be being strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. So put it to this way. When it comes to the spiritual battle, it is not my strength. It is God's strength that is necessary. Without him, I can't do anything, but I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It's a great truth, but we'll save it for tomorrow night. But it is a foundational truth, even for the rest of the text, that the battle is fought in total dependence on Jesus Christ to spiritually strengthen me with strength I do not innately have. It is his might, not mine. It's a very important truth, but one of which I just want to mention to lay the foundation. Then he turns to the armor. And the message is entitled, the, the armor. So let's deal with this. There's several what we call imperatives in a row. These are commands. And I'm going to give you the grammatical because I want you to see the grammar is inspired of God. And it really outlines the passage for us. There's several commands. They all seem to be saying the same thing, but they approach it from a different angle. The first command is answering the question, asking the, answering the question, excuse me, why? Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against personalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Now, why are we supposed to put on the whole armor of God? And the Bible says, because we are in a battle with an enemy who is deceitful. The very world wiles is the idea of deceitful stratagems. And I know I shouldn't think of this, but growing up as a kid, it was just a part of the fabric of the 1960s. When I hear the word wiles, I think of a cartoon character. You probably know who I'm talking about. His name used the word wile. Some of you know what I'm talking about? Wile, E, can you tell me the rest? See, I just want to make sure you watched it too. Okay, so it's not just me. Okay, I set you up. Dumb cartoon, we should have never watched it. Wasted our time, I should preach on stewardship of time tonight. Okay. But the point is, wiles means it's an attempt to be deceitful, deceitful stratagems. Our enemy has deceitful stratagems. As I mentioned, the Bible certainly uh, exposes those. But the thing I want you to notice here is God is simply saying, our battle is not with human beings. Now, that infers something, friends, and I want you to get this, that often the sa- Satan uses human beings to attack us. And when we react to the human beings, we have fallen into Satan's trap. How many pastors in the room tonight? How many pastors are in the room tonight? Okay, there's going to be many more pastors. I'm sure this will be a part of the conference CD. So I know there's not that many pastors here tonight. I'm going to make this comment because I want, to, I want to see if I can be a help to you. How many pastors would say that at least once in your ministry, if not more, somebody has come to you with a problem or a criticism either right before you preached or maybe the night before you did. Could I see your hands, please? They all raised their hand again. Now, isn't that amazing? Um, I remember years ago, I was talking with a pastor. I think he was on the younger side. and can't remember the circumstances, but he had said somebody, so-and-so had left his church, and I think I knew the people. And I said, when did he call you to say he was leaving the church? Why do you think I asked that question? Because I want to discern whether or not the devil might have been in the thing. He either said Saturday night or Sunday morning. You know what I said to that guy? You can just mark that one off. That was not God. Because God is not going to distract the preacher before he goes in the pulpit, right? And every preacher knows what it is, every preacher does, to have someone distract them before they go in the pulpit with some critical word or something that's a difficulty or some problem that literally can wait. You know what the preacher's danger is? To react to the flesh and blood. Oh, man, alive, I can't believe that. What an idiot. Man, we got, I'm about to preach the word of God. People are lost. You know, it's easy to do that, isn't it? But the truth is, realize, no, we're in a battle. They may not even realize that the enemy was trying to use them to get at me. I will tell you something. Preaching, I will tell you, friends, you just need to understand, preaching is a battle. Did you know that? <laughs> When a preacher has to preach, he, it's a wrestling match. You've you got to deal with uh, what does God want you to preach and, and deal with yourself and, and get ready to preach and get into the pulpit. And I will tell you, Satan wants to get you distracted. <laughs> Over the years, I've seen that happen. Just sometimes crazy things, little things, things that are sometimes seem to be seemingly ins- dis- uh, insignificant, but they distract you. So God is simply saying that we have a battle, we have an enemy, and sometimes he uses human beings. So, uh, so that's important for us to recognize. Now, so why? Okay, why do we put on the armor? Because there's a battle. And the battle is against flesh and blood. So don't react to people. Don't, even though you want to, don't react to people. Because they're not the problem. The problem's around them. It's behind them. Sometimes unwittingly. 
It's behind them. Okay, so with that understanding, look what it says. Now he's going to answer a different question. When? Look at verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand when? In the evil day. And having done all, to stand. So the second thing he tells us is, when are you going to need this armor? And the answer is, you're going to need the armor when the devil shows up. In the evil day. I will tell you, friend, we are have an enemy and he is pure evil. There are certain times, I'll be honest with you, friends, you can feel the evil. You realize that's evil. So understand, God is simply saying that when we need the armor is any time we encounter the enemy. We are in the evil day. Now, the word withstand there is a very interesting word because it's the exact same word used in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Help me out now. Resist the devil. Isn't that interesting? Same word. So God says, you need to resist. You need to resist the devil in the evil day. When he shows up and he begins to attack. Let me just simply say, when it comes to ministry, passivity is not in the book. We are talking about a battle. Okay, so we know when. Okay, now that brings us to a third question, and that is how. Okay, that is answered in verses 14 and following. He says here, stand therefore. So you've got basically these three uh, particular uh, commands. Put on the whole armor of God. Take unto you the whole armor of God, verse 13, and then stand therefore. Now, of course, standing indicates, if I can put it this way, standing indicates that, that it's using a picture, and the picture is that there is ground that God gives us. You ever been in a prayer meeting and God gives you ground? You know what I mean by that? God gives you an answer. You walk out of that prayer meeting with a sense of God has given us something. You know what I found when God gives you something? The devil will do everything he can to get it back. He'll try to get you to retreat from that. He'll try to get you to back up. He'll try to get you to say, well, you know, maybe God's not going to do it after all. And the moment you do, boom, he's back. So standing simply means get on the ground God wants you to take and don't let go. I like Shama of old. You remember Shama, one of the mighty men? He took a pea patch, well, a field of lentils, but he took that field of lentils and God gave it to him. And when the Philistines attacked, guess what he did? Everybody ran but him. And you know what he said? I'm not giving up this real estate because God gave it to me. And I will tell you, Sham is there all alone battling the Philistines, and he keeps the piece of real estate for God. And I will tell you, friend, everything God gives us, we ought to keep it. And it's going to take spiritual battle to keep it. You won't keep it by passivity. You're going to keep it by putting on the armor and doing battle with the enemy based on his strength, not ours. So, okay, so how do we do this? Stand, therefore, and I want us to go through the armor, but I I hope uh, we're going to kind of maybe hopefully do it in a way that it can be seen as one. I I realize they're different pieces, different angles. But the first one says, having your loins girt about with truth. The thing I want you to see about this passage is the word truth does not have an article. In other words, it's not saying have your loins girt about with the truth. It says having your loins girt about with truth. Now, that simply means whenever the article is missing in the Greek language, it means that the emphasis is on the essence or the quality of the noun. So it's that which is truth. Now, I see several different angles here. The first one would be this. One commentator put it this way. It's truth in the sense of honesty. One of the best ways to fight the devil is to get dead honest. In other words, could I put it this way? Whenever you're acting like what you're really not, Satan is having a heyday. But whenever you get honest about who you are, that's when Satan is defeated. It seems backwards, doesn't it? But I will tell you, friend, I've seen this in teenagers. When a young person gets honest with the right people in his life, he all of a sudden finds that the Satan is becoming defeated in his life. 
You know, I find this beginning fine in my own life. At last, uh, I remember about a year and three months ago at the opening, one of our evangelists was preaching a message on strongholds. And as he was preaching the message, he pointed out that a stronghold is not necessarily something that gets you every day. It could be something that gets you every three weeks. The point is, it keeps coming back. But many times, we get it down where it hardly comes back at all, and so we tolerate it. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit say to you, that one was for you? You ever had that happen? Preaching. By the way, this may shock you. We preachers get under conviction, too. You know that? We do, too. Okay? I'm sure God will get, get, get me this week, which is good. It's always a good thing, like Pastor mentioned. But I remember the Lord just speaking to me and saying, you have some strongholds in your life, and you need to deal with them. The very first thing I did, went home to my wife, and I said, honey, I, got, I explained to her what a stronghold was, and I said, I got three strongholds I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you about. Now, you don't have to make any comment. She wisely didn't. But anyway, uh, I, uh, I said, I'm going to give you these three. Gave those three. And you know what I found? It was helpful. You know why? Because God is simply saying truth is when we get honest about who we are. Listen, friends, when we try to act like we're something we're not, Satan has a heyday. So honesty is just being honest to the appropriate people. It certainly doesn't mean that we air our dirty laundry to everybody, but we certainly are willing to air it to whoever God tells us to. I've been in counseling situations and the Lord says, yeah, I want you to tell them about that failure in life and how God gave you victory. Are you willing? You see, the point is, friends, we all recognize we need God. And honesty is simply just being honest about who you are. You know, friends, I want to be honest with you tonight. I'm a really needy Christian. There are a lot of you better Christians than me, but I will tell you, friend, nobody has a better Christ than I do. (laughs) You see, the point is, we all are needy people. And it's all Jesus. And the great thing about the Christian life is, man, I got issues and I got problems and I'm growing, but thank the Lord, I got a whole lot of hope because Jesus is changing me. And the Jesus that I trusted to keep me out of hell is the Jesus I can trust every day of my life to keep me out of sin. Whoa, that kind of gets, that's good. See, it's all about him anyway, because none of us can live the Christian life without him. He is the Christian life. And the truth is, Satan has a heyday when Christians are not willing to be honest. I've been in several prayer meetings when appropriately so, people have been honest. It wasn't, it wasn't strained. It wasn't weird. It was just somebody praying, saying, you know, God, you've shown me there's a need in my life. And, and they pray about that need. And, and you know what? I, I, you can almost sense it. You can just sense it that there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a move forward in their life. Loins good about your truth means you stop. Listen, if you're out here looking at internet pornography and you're keeping it to yourself, don't be shocked when the devil has a heyday, because he will. The very first step you need to take is to go to the appropriate people and you need to say, I got a problem and I don't care what it takes, I want victory. I don't care if you're a student in the college, it doesn't matter who you are in the church, it does not matter if you've got an issue that you know you need help with and you're defeated by it and acting like you don't have a problem you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's, Satan has a foothold. It's like this. Sometimes teenagers will say, yeah, but if I go home and tell my parents, I'm going to get in huge trouble. And I look at them and say, well, that's who you are. That's who you are. Stop acting like what you're not. Go home and be honest about it. Because you know what happens when you get honest about it? The devil is defeated. Your loins are good about the truth. So it starts with being true about yourself. Now, it's important to say at this moment, since I kind of mentioned it earlier, it's important to recognize there's, there's something on the other side, and that is this, that the enemy is also known as the accuser of the brethren. There have been times 
I've sensed a, like a nagging something. I don't know if I'd call it conviction because there is such a thing as satanic conviction, but I can call it that way. But there's that nagging something. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure that's God. Now, in my earlier days, I would have responded to it because I want to do everything God wants me to do. But you know what I've learned is when you respond to Satan, the accuser, it never solves the problem. and only makes it worse. <laughs> do you know you have an accuser who tries to accuse you? So you say, well, preacher, what do you do? Well, the Bible says, try the spirits and see whether they be of God. There's been many times I've said, now, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do, but I'm not doing anything until you make it clear. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, verse 5, God is light and in him is. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? So I will say, God, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I'm not doing anything until you make it 100% clear. Because when you make it 100% clear, I will do it. And you know what I found when God makes it clear? There's light, there's liberty, there's joy. It's like my brother used to put it, uh, it's liberty, not duress. It's life, not death, and it's light, not darkness. You can try the spirits. See the word it's God or not. There are some oversensitive people, and, and they beat themselves on the several. Actually, I believe the enemy beats them. Uh, because uh, it's like this, friends. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from? How much unrighteousness? So what about this? You get on your knees. Oh, God, I was wrong. You get frustrated with my wife. Would you forgive me? You get up and the accuser says, God's not going to forgive you. You do that too much. You ever had that happen? Or whatever it might be. You know, at that moment, I can tell you this much. That's not God. You know why? Because God says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from? Yeah, see? So recognize when it comes to truth, the Bible tells us that the spirit is the spirit of truth. So I always want to align myself with truth. For instance, it's like the person doubting their salvation. And people come to me and say, I'm doubting my salvation. I said, well, how many times? I love this. I shouldn't say I love this, but this helps them understand the problem. I said, so how many times have you gotten saved? Oh, I don't know. I think I've prayed hundreds of times. You know, I think they take that song, Save, 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 literally. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so glad about getting saved. Let's keep doing it. Well, I want to ask you, if you pray to get saved and you're all, okay, if you pray to get saved and you're already saved, what's going to happen? And the answer is nothing. (laughs) And you started with a false premise because if you're saved and you pray to get saved, you're praying for something that already is. May I say this carefully? That's not God. Say, what do you tell somebody who's down their salvation? I tell them, if you're not sure you're saved or not, don't start with the premise you're lost because you don't know you're lost. You might be, but you might not be. So why don't you just declare your faith? Just say, you know, Jesus, I deserve to go to hell. I'm a sinner. But you know what? I'm trusting Jesus and Jesus only. He died for me, shed his blood, rose again. He's the only hope I have. Just keep declaring your faith. You keep declaring your faith. Guess what? You put your eyes on Jesus and you're going to get assurance. (laughs) See? But always start with truth. God operates off truth. Satan operates off of error. So the point is, friends, we're in a, when you're in a spiritual battle, not every quote-unquote voice, and you understand what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about literal voices, but not every voice is of God. The Bible says Satan is a counterfeiter. And no marvel, for even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Did you know that sometimes Satan packages himself as the Holy Spirit? 
when he's not? He's a counterfeit. He's a masquerader. He's a master counterfeiter. He acts like he's a messenger from God. And many times when people enter in the battle and they begin to get in the spiritual realm, they, don't, they, they forget the fact that Satan is a counterfeiter. Now, I got good news for you. I mentioned earlier the Roadrunner, so I guess I can go back to that. I remember one time Wiley Coyote decided he was going to get the Roadrunner by dressing up like a lamb. So he ordered some lamb outfit from, I think it was Acme, I can't remember. But anyway, he ordered, he ordered this lamb outfit. And he puts the lamb outfit on, and I remember as a little kid watching that, and I'm thinking, it's not going to work. There's too much coyote showing. <laughs> See, you watch it too. See, I just want to make sure. You, you, you're not just looking at me like, oh, your, your parents are bad. They let you like the Roadrunner. Okay, but it, anyway... The point I'm making, friends, is simply this. I got really good news for you. When Satan masquerades as an angel of light, there's always too much darkness showing, too much devil showing. You never have to worry about Satan deceiving you because God is light in him is no darkness at all. And Satan, there always is darkness. Always. So we start with truth. And I know I'm spending some time on this because it's very important for us to recognize the thing that gets rid of Satan is truth. What is true? And my friend, what gives him ground is when we buy into his deception. Now, that's personally. Now, a whole message could be preached on that, but now we've got to go another aspect of truth because it's not always what is true uh, and just about... Um, our, our sin issues or, or false conviction versus true. There's another aspect, and that is, what is true about who we are in Jesus Christ? Because the very foundation for overcoming the Satan is who you are in Jesus. So let me put it this way. When you got saved, friend, you were put into Jesus, and Jesus was put into you. I often teach teenagers this. My team, of course, will hear me say this multitudes of times. It's like this. When you put a sponge in the water, is the water in the sponge or is the sponge in the water? And the answer for all you philosophers is, yeah, they're both true. So you put a person in Jesus, and they get saved, they're put into Jesus. Is Jesus in the believer, or is the believer in Jesus? And, of course, the answer is they're both true. And, friends, all I want you to see is this. When you got saved, there was an inseparable union with Jesus Christ. And what you are in Jesus Christ is true. Whether or not, hang on, you feel like it. Because in Jesus tonight, I am telling you, you are dead to sin. And in Jesus tonight, you are alive unto God. And in Jesus tonight, you are complete in him. You are filled with all, in the one who is filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in Jesus, you've been raised up together with him in the heavenlies. And right now in Jesus, I am in a very real spiritual sense seated at the right hand of God in Jesus. And I will tell you, friend, when they sang Jesus Exalted, I'm telling you, I'm, I just sometimes want to just lift my hands and shout, but I think you'd all think I was a weirdo and, and whatever. I get excited about it. I'll tell you why I get excited about it. Because I'm in Jesus, and the Jesus can boss the devil around. <laughs> all power in heaven and earth, he said, is given unto me. And I will tell you, Jesus, tonight we're in the exalted Christ. And I will tell you, he's given us his authority. And when we submit ourselves to his authority, we can resist the devil and he's got to go. And I will tell you, friends, you can be in an evangelistic endeavor. The devil can be burying his teeth. You can get on your knees. You can get on the ground. You can get in the throne room. And I will tell you, resist the devil and watch him retreat. And there's nothing like it. 
Look what God did. But it's all based on truth. It's not based on who I am. I'm nothing. But in Jesus, friends, we are seated at the right hand far above the enemy. So it's based on who we are in Christ. We're complete in him. That wonderful verse there in Colossians says that Jesus is filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Got a question for you. Do you believe tonight that Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand, is filled with all the fullness of the Godhead in a body? And the answer is, yeah, yeah. He's in a human body there, glorified human body, but nonetheless a human body. And he's filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know what the next verse is? And ye are complete in him. Do you know what the word complete is? It's the same word in Ephesians 5.18, filled. You are filled in him. Right now, I am in union with the God, uh, with Jesus, who is filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I am not filled in and of myself, but I am in union with the one who is filled. And the Bible says I'm filled in him. Can I say that Jesus says everything I need to live the Christian life? There are times in my Christian life where I don't feel filled. How about you? Ever happen? And when you don't feel filled, guess what? You act like you're not filled. Have you ever noticed that? I've used this illustration before, but it, 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 it's one of those things that, that hopefully will help. I, it was several years ago, I was taking uh, some folks to the airport. And it was an early flight. It was a very important flight. There's some very exciting things they were going to get to do. And I uh, was taking them to the airport. And uh, we even set up put a half an hour in because there was construction, you know. Here, if you live in Milwaukee, there's always construction. But anyway, and so um, there was construction. And so we put the half an hour in. I picked them up, and we lost the half hour like that on the construction. Now, we're on time, but I'm nervous, you know, because I didn't want them to be late. They didn't want to be late. It was exciting. And we were out there, you know, going down 894, and 43 goes off this way. That turn, then it turns due east, right, east, to go to the airport on 894. Most of you know what I'm talking about, and... As I began to crest that hill, the sun, of course, this is early in the morning, began to come into my eyes. So I reached up, grabbed my visor. I put my visor down, and my um, garage door opener fell off the visor. And I didn't know this at the time, but it hit my ignition and turned off my car. Now, I didn't know that. I just know that now the garage door opener is sliding around on the floor, and I'm afraid it's going to go under my gas pedal, then I'll be in big trouble. You know what I'm talking about? And of course, teenagers would love to have that excuse. But anyway, and so I'm hanging on, kind of, you know how it is. You ever done that? You know, you're like this, you know, trying to find the thing. And finally, I grabbed it. And when I did, I put my foot back on the accelerator and it didn't have any power. So I'm thinking, you know, I wonder, I wonder if I'm out of gas. Well, you know what happens when cars turn off? The gas gauge goes dead. So I looked at the gas gauge. I'm out of gas. I'm out of gas. Who didn't fill the car up with gas? I'm out of gas. I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. That at this moment, I'm having one million things go through my mind at the same time. You ever had that happen? I understand that ladies have that. That's life for ladies, okay? But anyway, for we men, we usually think of one thing at a time, okay? But so, uh, I'm thinking, oh, man, is there a you know, gas station up the next exit? Oh, no, there's no gas station there. Oh, my phone. Yeah, I can maybe use my phone, and, and I'm apologizing. I mean, it was just for 60 seconds. Can I say this carefully? I was living in anxiety. 
I'm not saying it was the right way to respond. It certainly is one issue I got to work on. I usually takes me about 24 hours and I get it down in 24 hours. But that first few minutes, I, I would just, whoa. And I'm, um, you know, I'm, you know, cars are going by me. We're going up that hill, you know, you know how it is. And people are, you know, going by like this, you know, it's in the morning. And so I'm moving, you know, I'm no power steering. I'm trying to get it over to the side of the car. And so I finally get it over on the side lane. And, you know, the brain is an unbelievable organ. It's just unbelievable. All of a sudden, I think of something that occurred in 1984. 1984, I'm with a youth pastor in a Jeep in Morgantown, Indiana, and he runs out of gas. And he did this. He started going, whoosh, 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 and got enough gas in his tank, turned it on, and we puttered into a gas station. Now, I wasn't about on the interstate to go whoosh, whoosh, but I'd already done a little bit of whoosh, whooshing. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? I was on the side. I'd changed level, and I thought, you know, I wonder if some gas just trickled in the gas tank. So I hit the thing, just roars to life, and the gas gauge goes like this. I'm thinking, you moron, you heard that before, you know. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, friends, I had so much gas. I mean, I could get to the airport, stop at Dunkin' Donuts, you know, all get back, you know. I had plenty of gas. Gas left over. And yet, I want to ask you a question. I lived 60 seconds like I had no gas. And you know what hit me? That's the way most Christians live all the time. I'll preach you, I'm just a bum, I I can't live the Christian life. Well, tell me something I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But you are in Jesus, and he's got everything you need to live the Christian life. You are complete in him. You've got to operate off truth. If you don't operate off truth, you're going to be in trouble. It all starts with truth. And the truth is, you are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. I don't care if you're a teenager you've been saved two years. I don't care if you've been saved two minutes. You have everything necessary to do what God calls you to do. And it's remarkable. So it starts with truth. Now that brings us to a second one, I, and these will move quickly. We're certainly laying the foundation. But the next thing it says, of course, is, is uh, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now you've got stand therefore. Now you have four participles. So you have this four participles. They kind of all to go together. This is the second one. The breastplate of righteousness. And as I did some study on the word righteousness, it really is generally talking about not positional righteousness. It's talking about practical righteousness. In other words, it relates a little bit to the truth aspect, but the point is that when you and I are fighting the devil, you need to have a clear conscience. (laughs) That simply means you need to be right. Right with God and right with fellow man as best as you know it. As much as lieth in you, live with all men peaceably. On your side, you should, everything I've done, to live peaceably. So God is simply saying that... um, that uh, the breastplate of righteousness is there's, no, there's nothing we're ho- knowingly holding on to. And friends, I'm telling you, in today's world, there's a lot of compromise. People watch TV programs, have no business looking at, you know, cuss words, bed scenes, filth. That's kind of like what people do. And we wonder why the devil has a heyday. Because we don't have any breastplate on, that's why. There is something about saying, by the grace of God, I want to do right. I want to do right. I had a mother who I can still at times see those brown eyes flashing, saying, do right. 
know what she's saying? She's saying, if you're going to fight the devil, you better have righteousness, practical righteousness, doing what's right. Of course, not in our strength. It's in his strength, but you still have to make a decision to depend upon Jesus and then get out of the boat and obey him to enable you to do what you couldn't do unless he enables you to do it. But it is making a decision in your heart. I want to do right. And so the breastplate of righteousness. And again, a whole message could be preached on that. And then your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And there's a lot of different conjecture on this. And, and there's several interpretations. I, I would favor more that the idea of preparation is, is the idea of a firm foundation because of the word stand. This is a participle off that word stand. So it would seem to me that this isn't talking about forward movement. It's talking about planting your feet with a firm foundation. And one of the things that helps your feet stay on that firm foundation is the gospel of peace. Now, I will tell you, friends, we were talking about this some in Sunday school, but there's one thing to have peace with God. When you got saved, you have peace with God. That simply means that God is no longer your enemy. When you got saved, you were, you're, the, the, the enmity was over. <laughs> You're at peace with God. But not all people who have peace with God have the peace of God. You can be at, God's not an enemy with you anymore. You're at peace with God, but you don't have peace, the peace of God. You know why? Because you're not right. Or you're not depending on the gospel. You see, understanding, when we think of the gospel, we often immediately think of the gospel of the sinner. And certainly the gospel of the sinner is a glorious truth. You heard it preached this morning, and I don't know about you. I love to hear the gospel preached, don't you? I get to preach it every week to unsaved people. I love to preach the gospel to people with purple hair, you know, blue hair, you know. It's great. Earrings everywhere but their ears. You know what I'm talking about. The gospel's powerful. And uh, it, it strikes in the heart. But, you know, this is also inferring, and I, several commentaries agreed with this, that it's talking about the gospel to us. Friends, it is good news that Jesus died to keep us out of hell, but it is also good news that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the very foundation to deliver us from the power of sin. Listen, if you're out here defeated with sin, i got really good news for you. The news is that Jesus can deliver you. He can deliver you from looking at stuff you have no business looking at. He can deliver you from a marriage that's struggling. He can deliver you from anger towards somebody who's wronged you. He can deliver you from bitterness. He can deliver you from an unforgiving spirit. He can deliver you. And when he does, there's peace. And it gives you a foundation to fight the devil on. I'm at peace. I've got peace with God, and i got the peace of God. I love it when young people testify, like one did just last week. Oh, man, I can't explain this, man. I just got this joy. I said, I think you're talking about joy unspeakable. You know where that comes? The gospel. You start trusting Jesus to deliver you, he gives you peace. Well, then we go, of course, to the last participle that is hooked off the word stand, and it says, above all, or uh, even the, the, the epsilon nu is the preposition there for you Greek students. And we have several of you in, uh, I would say Greek scholars, but that would be too bold of a statement. We'll just say Greek students. But nonetheless, um, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about this, because really, the, the whole thing I want us to see up to this point is it's faith. You see, truth, what's the whole thing of truth? It's about believing God, okay? He's believing what is. And then righteousness, you have to trust God to give you strength to be righteous. Okay, faith's there. The gospel, well, you've got to believe the gospel, whether it's the sinner or the saints, you've got to believe it. So faith is, is simply saying, it's saying, hey, faith is important in all these pieces of armor. In fact, the thread through every piece of armor is believing. 
It's the most important part. And it quenches the fiery darts of the wicked, which simply means this. That one of the ways that Satan tries to fight us is with doubt. Because if the shield of faith quenches the fiery dart, it has to be a doubt of doubt. doubt. I'll get it there. I almost switched it. And friends, do you know that, I don't know about you, has Satan ever tried to get you to doubt God? Ever happened to you? I'm sitting there on the side of the road and my outside kitchen is lit, is just shredded. I mean, just sitting there. You know, I wish I could say, I would say, hallelujah, glory to God. But you know, I'm thinking, oh, that rots. Now, I'm not saying that's the right response. I'm simply saying I'm struggling with doubting God. You ever been there? You ever gotten a flat tire? Flat tires test your sanctification. Did you know that? You want to know how you're doing? Flat tire. Hallelujah. I wonder who I'm going to win to Jesus. The only person that does that is Tom Johnson. I don't know anybody else that does that. I'm sitting there thinking, stupid tire. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, God t- taps me on the shoulder and says, I got a purpose in this. Would it help you to know that if 30 minutes later, if you hadn't had that flat tire, you'd have been in an automobile accident and killed? You'd have been sitting there jumping up and down saying, Hallelujah, thank the Lord for the flat tire. You know why we don't do that? Because we doubt God. And I'll tell you who threw that doubt into your heart. His enemy, he's an enemy who hates you and he hates Jesus. And I will tell you, friends, Satan's constantly throwing doubt at us. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt who you are in Jesus, like we talked about a moment ago. He wants you to doubt. He just wants you to doubt God. And God is simply saying, get that shield up there and start believing that I'm in control and I know what I'm doing and all this is going to work together for good. Believe. Trust me. It's the thread through every piece of armor. For time, we don't have time to go through it, but it's, I think you see it. Now, that brings us then to a little bit. He actually changes gears. Even though you've got two more pieces, he stops using a participle, and he goes now, and he uses an, another imperative, another command. And there he says, uh, there in verse number, uh, I've got to find my place here, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, these two pieces, he tells us to take, Really, the idea here is taking with a sense of receiving them, which means that both of these are gifts. Is salvation a gift? Is the Word of God a gift? (laughs) They're gifts. And what God is simply saying is, you have to receive them. And we all understand this because we've probably been out soul winning and we've used the illustration of a gift and you've got to receive it, you've got to take it in order to the gift of God's eternal life, but you've got to take it. We all understand that. Well, I will tell you, friends, the helmet of salvation, I believe, and I believe commentators bore this out as well, is not just talking again about salvation from the penalty of sin. It's talking about salvation from the power of sin. And I will tell you, friend, you've got to take it by faith. It's a gift. And it's received. Assurance of salvation. you just got to, I'm trusting Jesus. And I will tell you, if Satan, by the way, can get you to doubt your salvation, then he's got you. May I say this? God doesn't want you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to believe it. Because God, let me put it this way. God's always for faith and he's never for doubting. God doesn't want you to doubt salvation if you really have it. Did you know it's like this? I tell, I tell, I know this is maybe a shock to you. If you say, preacher, what do you do if you got a bunch of carnal, backslidden Christian school kids that are saved but not living it? What, what do you do? I want them to be assured they're going to heaven. You say, what? Why? Because the very foundation for them getting right with God and experiencing revival is that revival lives in them. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Well, how can you walk in the Spirit if you're not sure He's there? 
See, the very first thing I want Christian school kids who are not right with God to know is I'm going to heaven. Jesus lives in me because it's the very foundation for everything else we're going to deal with that week. In other words, I don't use salvation as a blo- assurance of salvation as a bludgeon to get them to do right, and God doesn't either. What he's simply saying, in other words, live it and know you're saved. No, what he's trying to, what God is simply saying is, because you're saved, live it. In other words, because Jesus lives in you, that's the very power to live the Christian life. So, knowing we're saved is important. And I believe that when it comes to assurance of salvation, I've got a whole message on this, it's simply resting in what Jesus did on the cross. Resting, and listen, if you're here and not sure you're saved, I'm telling you tonight, friend, assurance of salvation simply comes by looking to Jesus. The songwriter put it this way when he said, my faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died. Hallelujah. So the very first thing when it comes to, friends, uh, when it comes to Revival, you, okay, I put it this way. You can't be revived until you know you've been revived. <laughs> well, once you know Jesus is living in you, it's the very foundation to move forward. So take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. That deliverance from the penalty of sin, that deliverance from the power of sin, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, most people that have studied this passage know that the word, word there is not the word logos, it's the word rhema. Which, uh, I like what one evangelist said, rhema is a word from the word. Another commentator said it's a saying. Of course, a Bible saying. A rhema. Now, I know a lot has been put into this, but let me just simply say this, that when Jesus was tempted of the devil, what did he do? And the answer is, he quoted rhemas. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He fought that, Emily could have put it this way, the de- God, Jesus didn't take a Bible and throw it at the devil. He took specific words out of the word that were germane to the battle and he quoted them. And you know what, friends? It defeated the enemy. God has given us a Bible full of truth. And the Bible is simply saying it's a weapon. It's the rhema. It's the saying. It's the actual verse that confronts the lie. <laughs> That's what defeats the devil, believing it. That's the same thing as lifting the shield of faith in one way. It's quenching the darts with the truth of the word of God. That's exactly what happened when we know that Peter was sifted. Satan sifted him, and he denied the Lord three times. Now, why did he deny the Lord? He denied the Lord because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not in his thinking. Remember when he confronted the Lord? Be it not unto thee, O Lord. This should not be unto thee. And the Lord said, get thee behind me. See, Peter was thinking, oh, Jesus, you're not going to die. You're going to, be, you're going to go to the throne. You're not going to die, resurrect. No, no, that's not a part of it. So how did Peter, how did he recover from that sifting of Satan? Well, we don't know for sure, but we do know this much. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he gets up, don't miss this, and he proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Bible. Could you? Prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament? Peter did. He was using rhemas. And that's how he defeated the devil. He got back on ground that he had doubted God on, and he now preaches to thousands of people from the Old Testament, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, 
The word here, and we'll conclude with all this, says, take this helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. Then it says, praying always and watching thereunto are two participles that come off the main verb there, stand. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit. Now, this, this is part of the armor. Every piece is essential. But praying, see, there's several questions we ought to ask here on the praying. The first one is, when? And the answer is, always. Now, you've heard the verse, pray without ceasing, and I've said this before, but you might say, you know, preacher, how can you pray always? I mean, you've got to sleep, and you've got to eat. We've got to do that. And there's another, how do you do that? Well, that's a good question. I remember years ago, I think pastor was preaching, and he said something like this, prayer is the breath of dependence. Is that true? Yeah, that is. In fact, if you're out here and you don't pray, I know something about you. You don't think you need God. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. If you don't pray, I know already know something about you. You don't think you need God. Because people who need God, there's only one expression for needing God. And you know what it is? Prayer. God, help me. God, do something. God, I can't go on without you. If you don't need God, you won't pray. Or if you don't think you need God. We all need God. So if prayer is the breath of dependence, it hit me. Dependence is wordless prayer. That's what I believe it means to pray without ceasing. You know what it means? Depend upon God 24-7. Have you ever gone to bed just reveling in Jesus, just depending on Jesus? You know what happens when you wake up? You're still dependent on Jesus. You're thinking, wow, isn't this great just to trust the Lord? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. That's what it means. Praying, well, okay, so it answers the question when, like, all the time. If you have an enemy friend who is much more powerful than you are, and your only hope is linking up with somebody who's more powerful than the enemy, then you're going to pray. If you really understand it, you'll pray always. And then it says, praying always, it answers the question, how? Praying always with all prayer and supplication. What's those next words? In the Spirit. Now, the word in there, epsilon nu, could be locative, in other words, in the sphere of the Spirit. But I don't know. I kind of think this, another thing it could be is means, by the Spirit. It seems to me that, certainly I don't have a problem if you would go to the other interpretation because the application is pretty similar. But the point would be simply this, friends. There's two things we need the Holy Spirit for when it comes to pray. And that is what to pray for and the spiritual strength to do it. You know, I, I ask this, I'm probably going to ask this probably tomorrow night. How much effective praying can you do without the Holy Spirit? And the answer is... And if you really believe that, you will depend on the Holy Spirit to lead you, and you will depend on the Holy Spirit to empower you. That's how. And then there's another thing, last thing is, who? Look at what it says there, watching thereunto with all perseverance. And I've got to get the verse here. All perseverance and supplication for who? All saints. Can I say this carefully, friends? I love the local church. And you know what the local church is all about? Looking out for each other. Can I something something that I hope will be a help to you? I need you folks. Did you know that? And can I say this carefully? You need me. We need each other. You know, and I'm out on the road with the team. There's sometimes... You ever felt like Swiss cheese? You know what I'm talking about spiritually? You're just like, man, I'm just, it's like, you just like, you just got mowed down. It's always great to have team members who pray for you. 
They see you're under attack. And, they, and I've had that happen. I've had team members get on their knees, plead with God. And I will tell you, I'm thankful that a 19-year-old college student who hadn't been saved very long could get a hold of God, aren't you? Because sometimes I need him to get a hold of God. When I'm up there preaching and I mean, we got a riot broken out, it's an absolute zoo. I'm glad somebody can get a hold of God. The point is we need each other, friends. It's just watching. You know what that means? I know this sounds, I, I particularly do it with the college, but sometimes you know, I, I think, you know, I'm getting burdened for that believer. I, I don't know if everything's right. I don't do that to get critical. My God, would you do something? Would you work on the heart? If I need to say something, I'll say it, but God, would you work? Don't you think we need each other? <laughs> but it means watching, means, oh yeah, there, there might be a need there. There might be a need there. Oh, there's dear people in this room. I prayed for you. I can see you're hurting. There's a need in your life. God puts a burden in your heart. We need each other. It says for all saints. You know the pastoral staff needs people to pray. Did you know that? <laughs> we need each other. I'll tell you, it's one of the things I love about the Sunday school. I love to have people pray for me. But sometimes you, oh, he's an evangelist, he's a super Christian. Nine is super nothing. <laughs> I'm just as needy as any believer in this room. Without Jesus, I can't do anything. I need you to pray. When I'm out there in the front lines, I need you to pray. You see a burden, somebody, a Christian burden, pray. You know what? If we're all doing our job, guess what? The devil isn't going to have anything to do with Falls Baptist Church. It's a great truth that God says here. Who are we supposed to pray for? Everybody. All the saints ought to be on our radar screen, at least those in our sphere of influence, those we see. I sure if I asked you tonight how many have ever gotten burdened for another believer in this church and you may not know something's wrong, you just knew something's wrong, and you started praying for them, I would assume many of you would raise your hands. And you know what I think that is? I think that's great, don't you? I will tell you, friends, I think we're going to hear on Friday the Lone Ranger song, but I'm going to tell you, friends, when it comes to spiritual battle, you know what a Lone Ranger is? A dead ranger. <laughs> we need each other. And we need to pray for each other. I mean, pulling for each other. Not, you know, we're not talking about critical. We're talking about praying for people. Asking God to work in their heart. Praying for them. Loving them. Praying God will do a reviving work in their life. Praying God will use them. Listen, when I hear somebody led somebody to Jesus in this congregation, you know what that does? That gets me excited. I don't mean to embarrass Jim Craig, but I walked by this morning and say, Oh, Jim, how's the prison ministry? It's too saved on Friday night. You know what I did? I didn't say, Oh, what a bummer. No, you know what I said? Hallelujah. <laughs> Your friends, though, what God is simply saying is, when it comes to spiritual battle, this thing is a group deal. <laughs> Praying always for everybody, <laughs> for all saints. And by the way, friends, that means if you've got a need in your life, don't get stinking proud. Get that belt of truth on and tell people who need to know. And you know what they'll do? They'll pray for you. So, uh, Praying always. So God has given us this armor. Now, the one thread, again, I want to just review it with you, is faith. Is believing who we are in Christ. Is believing that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will help us understand what's true about ourselves and what is, what, what, what is error that, the, that the, the enemy has given us. It's trusting the Holy Spirit to do that. 
It's trusting the Holy Spirit to enable us to put on that breastplate of righteousness, enable us to be righteous. It's trusting God, the gospel, to give us peace, to deliver us from the power of sin. It's, it's trusting the word of God to defeat the enemy, to lift that shield of faith and quench those doubts with the rhema of God. It's trusting God for deliverance, to, uh, for assurance of salvation, and trusting him for deliverance from the power of sin. It's trusting God on our knees to work in a situation and deliver a believer, deliver ourselves. It's trusting God. See, I want you to understand the whole issue of the armor is faith. Could I put it this way? The whole issue of the armor of God is a part of the Christ walk. Because when you and I, as I'm going to say at the beginning, when you start walking with Jesus, you are going to make the devil flat out mad. I remember years ago, I was with a guy who fought in Operation Desert Storm. I don't know if you know this, but there were three Marines in Operation Desert Storm or at that time, I'm not sure they all fought in the dark, but there were three Marines who were ordained ministers who were not chaplains. A few years after, just uh, I think 1995, a few years after Desert Storm, I was with one of those Marines. He was a youth pastor, ordained minister, but he was, he was, um, he was, not, uh, he was not a chaplain. I remember we finished the week. It was a great week. I think we hit a record attendance for the war. I think it was 305. I think we had about 100 people saved. I mean, it was a, just one of those phenomenal weeks. At the end of the week, he said, Brother Van Gelder, he said, I have flown in Operation Desert Storm, and he says, I have flown in, in combat missions. He said, I have had um, bullets penetrate the copter that I was flying. He was a pilot. He said, I've been under enemy attack. He said, when you are under enemy attack, he said, in that cockpit... He said, there is a bonding of the people in that cockpit that is unbelievable. You bond. He said, it's unbelievable. He said, Brother Van Gelderen, I want you to know that at the end of this week, I feel the same way about you. In fact, he said, I believe that what we have done this week, the battle we have fought this week spiritually is more real than the battles I fought in Operation Desert Storm. And he said, the unity I feel at the end of a week like this is the same, if not greater. My friend, we're in a real battle. We've got to put on the armor. We've got to believe God. We've got to put on the armor. The sun was just coming up. The motorcycle officer moved smoothly through a quiet Los Angeles suburb on his way to work. When all of a sudden he saw a red pickup truck just blow through a stop sign, didn't even hit the brakes. He turned on his lights, went in pursuit of the truck, and radioed into the station that he was in pursuit of a red vehicle. He then uh, parked and thought to himself, probably the guy's late to work. He casually walked up to the red vehicle, but what was going on in the red vehicle was something different. There was a man who just robbed an all-night grocery store. He had next to him a sack of money and a pistol. He's thinking, the police already know. The cops already know. His hand rested on the revolver. The policeman came up, the window was rolled down, the policeman came up, casually said, Good morning, sir. May I have your... He could not even finish his sentence. The gun was drawn out two inches from the officer's chest, two inches, and the trigger was pulled. The blast left the officer seven feet, threw him back onto the ground. For a moment, everything was absolutely silent. Then all of a sudden, amazingly, the officer got to his feet and began dusting himself off. He was dazed. The guy in the red truck thought, this guy's Clark Kent. (laughs) 
The officer all of a sudden got his wits and pulled out a service revolver and fired two shots into the vehicle. One went through the window and broke the windshield. The other went through the door into the left leg of the driver. The robber panicked. He said, don't shoot. And he threw the revolver and the money out of the pickup truck. What saved the officer's life? Three-eighths inch of a material we call Kevlar. In a bulletproof vest on, it saved his life. About a month later, Ray Hicks, another Los Angeles policeman, was with his partner issuing a search warrant to a well-known drug dealer in Inglewood, California. The partner said, police, while Ray Hicks took his, his uh, boot and tried to kick down the door. At that moment, four slugs came through the door, and one of them hit Ray Hicks exactly in the same spot that the motorcycle officer was hit weeks before. He turned to his partner. He said, I'm hit, and he slumped to the ground. The coroner said that Ray Hicks probably lived less than a minute. The bullet severed an aorta that brought blood to the brain, and he died almost instantly. Ray Hicks was 27 years old. He left a wife, three kids, and a bulletproof vest in the trunk of his police car, 30 feet away. Now, friends, for all of us in this room, we're in a battle. Better get the armor on. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of God's people would simply say tonight, I know this is more of a preparatory message. How many of God's people would say, you know, preacher, wow. God's doing something in my heart. And God's taught me some things that I want to remember, that I want to embrace, some truth that I need, and I I want to embrace it. And by the grace of God, I want to take what God's taught me tonight from His Word and embrace it and make it a part of my thinking, a part of my what what, uh, the truth that I need to, to battle the enemy. If that's you tonight, God's worked in your heart, would you just lift your hand as an indication of God's gracious work in your heart? That's wonderful, friends. Actually, it's very encouraging. Would you just stand to your feet right where you are? Heads are bound and eyes are closed. I know we're at the very beginning of the conference. But I'm telling you, friend, we have an enemy. He hates Jesus. He hates Jesus. Don't be surprised this week if there'll be a spiritual battle, even in your own heart and life. But I hope this message will help you prepare for it. It's all faith. It's believing God. Heads are bound and eyes are closed. In just a moment, we'll have an invitation. If God's touched your heart, perhaps you feel the need, you know. I just need, it's good for me. I just need to be what I am. I need to be, God's dealing with about that loins about a truth, and I just need to come down an old-fashioned aisle and kneel and say, God, there are some things that, God, you showed me tonight. I don't know, but if God's touched your heart, you're certainly welcome to come, kneel, do business with God. But just do what God wants you to do as the instrument plays.